0: Hello friends of the river. I am here in my home office and I just wanted to be in a more intimate setting with you today as I know you are also at home. I I miss you. How are you doing? I miss seeing you in person. I hope that you are staying safe. I hope that you're staying healthy. Uh, we are sheltering in place here at home. Uh, my husband's business is deemed essential, so he is going into his office, but he's staying at a safe distance from his partners and not, not letting the public into their space. Uh, my son Adam is very actively in at the controls of River West Church and behind the scenes of everything that's being broadcast now online and the website and all of that. My son Spencer works for Nike. He is home right now working in his home office doing phone calls and Zoom calls and such And and here I am. I'm I'm here also trying to stay connected to you through video and Zoom and not my favorite way to be with you, but I am grateful for these tools. Um, I hope that you're doing well. I have a sense that this is going to go on much longer than we're all anticipating. Um, I have a sense that that we're not going to re-engage as quickly as we might hope, but I'm also think that there's many things about this time that we can learn that will be good for us in the long run. You know, when I open up the pages of scripture, I feel like God is speaking right to us in this moment through the Apostle Peter. It's as if these words were written right for what we're living through today. You know, in this week's passage, Peter is speaking to believers about a fiery trial that they're experiencing related to their faith in Jesus Christ Now today, our fiery trial is not specific to our faith, that is, we're not suffering right now because we identify as Christians in the midst of a hostile culture, but we are in a state of suffering. We're joined with others around the entire world as we are trying to press into this season of of pandemic, of, of a virus that is very, very dangerous for humanity. Um, This is a fiery trial and perhaps it's the most fiery trial that you've ever gone through in your life. Certainly, none of us have experienced anything like this before. And as the heat continues to rise, as the weeks progress and as more and more people get sick because they say we're not quite even at the peak of this yet, this may hit closer to home. There may be people that you know who become sick or maybe even someone that you know may die. So, this trial might be affecting you in a lot of different ways. I think some of you are probably feeling really stressed right now because you've got your children home and you're trying to homeschool. And this has added a real layer of stress stress to your life. Some of you might be feeling really isolated and cabin feverish, just longing to get out and to be with people and to have some normal rhythm of life again. Some of you might be dealing with a financial crunch. Maybe you've got lost wages from your job or possibly you've been laid off um, with the slowdown of the economy. Some of you might be enduring some stress in your marriage, possibly living in the close quarters that you're living in now is, is creating some friction for you and your husband. Or, you know, some couples might actually be experiencing a sweet blessing. I've noticed couples out around the neighborhood walking and holding hands. And I think, when, when has that happened before? Some of you might be feeling a lot of, isolation in this time. Maybe you're living alone and you're feeling bored or restless or just trapped. You're going stir crazy. You know, this is definitely a time of personal trial for all of us, but it's certainly more fiery for some than for others. But this is also a fiery trial for the church because Easter is approaching next week and God's people throughout the world will be unable to gather and worship. What a sad day for the kingdom of God on earth. There'll be no Good Friday services. There'll be no Resurrection Sunday celebrations. God's people will be home, maybe praising him in quiet or praising him in small groups. Some will be all alone. Some will be with spouses and children. But around the globe, God's people will not be able to corporately gather and celebrate the risen Christ. Has this ever happened at all in human history? I don't know, but it seems on the surface at least to be a win for Satan, doesn't it? But you see, Peter is speaking to us today because we are living in the midst of a fiery trial, and this trial not only impacts our individual lives, it also impacts our corporate lives as a community of God's people. You know, we are the church universal. And as Peter has been teaching us, though, Jesus is our living hope. Peter's been preparing us for this season. He has reminded us that Jesus is our, our resurrected Lord and Savior. He is our example of hope in hurting times. And God has given us his word and his wisdom to know how to navigate this fiery trial, which is what we're going to look at today in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. We're going to look at this in three pieces. In 13, 12 and 13, we're going to see that um, we are to rejoice in our fiery trial. In verses 14 through 16, we're going to see that we're to glorify God in our fiery trial. And in verses 17 through 19, we're going to see that we're to obey in our fiery trial. And I think what Peter wants us to know today is that God is faithful and we can entrust ourselves to him in the midst of fiery trials. He is faithful. He has been faithful all the way up until this very moment in our lives, and there is no reason to believe he won't be faithful all the way through this fiery trial so we can entrust ourselves to him. Well, grab your Bibles, open your Bibles if you will. We're going to look at verse 12 and 13 first. So it starts off titled, Suffering as a Christian. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter, as we remember, is writing to the believers who have been dispersed throughout Asia Minor, and they are experiencing a specific kind of suffering related to their faith in Jesus Christ. A growing number of people in their culture in the first century really despised the early Christians. You know, remember Saul, who before he became Paul, he was persecuting Christians, killing them. And so this is what's happening. People are persecuting Christians all the way to death. And so these fiery trials are so stressful and utterly exhausting to these first century Christians. They had to be on their guard day and night. And they, they might have wondered why had they become such a target of such hatred for simply just believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. After all, they weren't hurting anyone with their faith. Remember just a few chapters ago Peter was coaching them on how to be good citizens, how to obey the government, how to be good employees or servants. He was helping them understand that it was important that they they live above reproach because people were watching their lives. But Peter reminds them here that they're not to be surprised by this surge of opposition. Remember Jesus had warned his disciples that this would happen. At the Last Supper, he said this, it's recorded in John 15, uh, verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Later, the apostle John John wrote in 1 John 3.13, he said, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. So Christians should expect persecution because whenever the gospel is proclaimed, it will be an offense to some people. In Peter's day, Emperor Nero was intensifying his hatred for Christians as he became more crazed by power and more threatened by those who were proclaiming that Jesus was Lord and King. This kind of fiery trial is an area of life where actually most of us have no experience Though Christianity has grown in opposition over the last couple of decades, especially in the Pacific Northwest, we really have no idea of what it means to live in fear of our lives because of our faith in Jesus. We also don't know what it's like to be rejected by our families or cut off from any association with them if we receive Christ as our Savior. I have a young friend who's become very dear to our family She's from a Muslim family, and her parents immigrated here from Iraq in the 1980s when Saddam Hussein was persecuting his own people. She was just a baby at the time, so she's grown up in Portland her whole life. She has a couple of siblings who are older who spent much of their formative years actually going to school in Iraq, so they have a much deeper sense of their, their homeland, their origin. Um, but for her, this is all she's known. She's an American, and she doesn't identify as closely with her culture or with her the faith of her parents as her siblings do. Well, as you may know, um, Islam is a very high moral standard, especially for young girls. So my friend seemed to gra- gravitate towards Christians for her friendships during her growing up years. Um, there was a kind of a shared sense of morality and a, a shared sense of of types of entertainment and things that that were aligned versus with kids who didn't have any kind of background in that way. And so um, over time, she became more and more intrigued by the personal nature of the Christian faith of her friends. And she began to notice that there was more love and grace and hope and Confidence in the person of Jesus Christ, that her friends had something different than she had. But her family has threatened to disown her if she leaves Islam. Literally, they have said that they would cut off all relationship with her, that she would be removed from their home and shunned by her family members. She would never be allowed to speak to them or to see her young nephews again. She would be cast out completely. And they've reminded her that if she were living in Iraq even now, it's likely that she would be killed for making um, such a proclamation of faith in Christ. You see, in an honor-shame culture, this kind of shaming is very deliberate, and it's it's an orchestrated response to people who defect from their cultural or religious roots. I mean, wow, we have no idea what it means to follow Christ in a context of real persecution. But there are people right here in our community who are facing a fiery trial like this for even considering the gospel of Christ. And there are people all over the world right now who are gathering in underground churches and fearing for their lives because of their association with Jesus. And it's been this way ever since Jesus was crucified. And it will be this way until Jesus comes back in glory. It makes me wonder you know do we take for granted or possibly have we become lazy in our freedom to believe in jesus and proclaim our identity as christ followers have we forgotten what a privilege it is to enjoy our freedom to proclaim the good news of the gospel or to gather in public places to worship christ you know could it be that the stripping away of this freedom that we're going through now during this season of coronavirus Could it be that this will ignite a revival in our nation? You know, will God redeem this Easter season of isolation by waking us up from our spiritual slumber and enlivening us with the joy and privilege of corporate worship every Sunday, not just Christmas and Easter, like so many Americans are in the habit of doing? You know, what Peter says is he's saying, don't be surprised, but in fact, rejoice because When you suffer for your faith, you are actually sharing in the sufferings of Christ. In fact, when you're suffering for your faith, you are proving that you truly belong to him. And this means there will be a future glory for you. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, when we suffer for our faith, it shows that our faith is actually genuine. And if our faith is genuine, then one day we will be overjoyed when Jesus returns in glory. So whatever suffering we're enduring today, we can rejoice because one day we're going to see the glory of Christ revealed. And the Bible says that when we see him, we will be glorified like him. The truth is that the grace of by the grace of God, our sufferings can produce exceeding joy. By the grace of God, our sufferings can produce exceeding joy. You know, you know what James has been saying to us this whole year. He's been saying, remember, consider it all joy when we encounter various kinds of trials. And now Peter's urging us to rejoice knowing that at Christ's return, he is going to bring relief from our troubles and reward those who suffer faithfully. There's three things that I see that are blessings that come out of the fiery trials that we go through. The first is that the the fire of trials actually surfaces impurities in our lives, much the way that, that gold is purified. When the fire brings out to the impurities of the gold, that can be swept away and made the gold more pure. In the same way, trials surface our wrong attitudes. They surface our misplaced passions, our errant thinking. When those are stripped away, we're left with a more pure devotion, with a more sanctified, Christ-like life. We're able to love and worship God more purely. The second thing is that the, the, the fire of trials surfaces our faith. It exposes our belief in the gospel. You know, are we really willing to be identified with Jesus so much so that we value him as being more important than our worldly loves, than our worldly comforts, than our worldly entertainments, even than our earthly families? You know, my friend is going to have to come to grips with that decision very soon. She's going to have to ask herself the question, is Jesus worth the cost? And that's something that most of us never have to even consider. And the third thing is that the fire of trials reveals God's grace. God meets us in the midst of our suffering, and He gives us His joy. And knowing that one day we will see Jesus in all His glory, and when we see Him, we will be changed to be like Him, what, some, what something to look forward to? And until that day, though, we experience joy as we walk through our sufferings with the assurance uh, of, the, of His Word and the truth that His Word speaks into our lives, with the assurance of His presence through the Holy Spirit, with the assurance of his power through prayer and with the community of other believers who share in these sufferings with us. So let me ask you, how are you finding a cause for joy in this fiery trial that we're going through? You know, I am rejoicing actually every day for the gift of being home and the gift of extended time. I have been praying for six months. If you know, if you've been around me, you know this is true first stretch time, just for God to stop the clock and to multiply time in my life. And I am embracing this season of being able to take walks and home cooked meals and catching up on schoolwork and doggy snuggles and extended sleep. Now, of course, I did not expect that God was going to stop the whole world to answer my prayers, but I'm just truly overjoyed with this gift of time for my soul because I really needed it. And I know you probably really needed it too. So I'd love for you to share in your groups this week, what are the surprise blessings in this season of quarantine that are bringing you joy? You know, one of the best ways to combat fear and anxiety is with praise and thanksgiving. So I challenge you to, to talk to each other and to share what are the supply, surprise blessings that you're finding in this time of isolation and quarantine. Well, Peter knows that fiery trials lead to a spirit of worship as God is glorified by our faithful response to him in hard times. And so we're going to go on and look at verse 14, where he says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I wonder, can you remember the last time you were ridiculed or slandered for your faith in Christ? You know, do people even know that you're a Christ follower? I think it's easy to live in the Pacific Northwest and keep it a secret. Does your grocery store clerk know? Does your mailman know? Do your neighbors know? Do the people in your kid's school know? Do your co-workers know? You know, is it is is being a Christian something that you make known to people? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5:11, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus sends his spirit to strengthen those who are persecuted for their faith. And God provides his power so we can rest in him. And so Peter reminds us that we must remain faithful in hard times and not add suffering to suffering by by engaging in sinful activities. You know, as the flames intensify and as the heat rises, Peter encourages us to glorify God as we endure. You know, he promises that God provides divine power for us through his Holy Spirit. In verse 14, when he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, Jesus reminds us in John 15:5 that apart from him, we can do nothing. But in times of difficulty, God's power is made manifest by his Holy Spirit. And when we suffer for our identification with Christ, or we suffer for doing good in Christ's name, God provides his power to strengthen us and to give us rest. This is why it's so important that we don't sin as we suffer. That's why he says in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. You know, suffering for wrongdoing, it doesn't come with a promise of blessing. That's just the consequence of sin. And did you notice that Peter actually mentions two kinds of sins? You know, the first two are sins against the the law of the government, murder and stealing. And then the other two are sins against God. They're moral sins, committing evil and meddling or gossiping. These sins defame the name of Christ rather than bring Him glory. But the Holy Spirit ministers to us in times of suffering and allows us to experience the glory of God in very tangible ways. You know, we've read testimonies of of faithful people who have sung praises to God as they've been martyred for their faith. Or many testify of experiencing supernatural strength or joy when they've been taken to prison or they've been killed for their trust in God. Well, the other thing is that God provides his name as a badge of honor for believers. Verse 16 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The word Christian is actually found only three times in the New Testament. The name was first actually spoken as an insult to Christ followers by people who were against the church. They were enemies of the church. It was meant as a term of mockery for those who believed in Jesus. But over time, it actually became a badge of honor. The name Christian means belonging to Christ, and it's a privilege to bear the name and to suffer for his name's sake. Now, there is no shame ever in suffering for Christ. In fact, God is glorified when we persist in doing the right things and bearing Jesus' name with honor. I kind of wonder if Peter wasn't recalling his own experience of shame when he denied knowing Jesus three times. The truth is that by the grace of God, we can glorify Jesus in times of suffering. By the grace of God, we can glorify Jesus in times of suffering. Andrew Brunson, he was a Christian pastor. He he was a Christian pastor from North Carolina who spent 20 years in Turkey. Um, They said that he had a very quiet, but a very deep ministry there until 2016, when after a failed military coup happened, the government arrested him and some journalists, some military officers, some activists, and they put them all in jail, and the government deemed that, that Andrew Brunson was a spy. He was actually held in prison for a year without any charges being filed, and then he spent two years in prison enduring a long season of being tried in court. At one point, he thought it was possible that he would spend even the rest of his life, decades and decades, in prison in Turkey. But finally, after pressure from the Trump administration, Brunson was released from prison last year and returned to the United States. Recently, he spoke at Wheaton College in one of their chapel sessions, and he shared that he did not actually feel God's overwhelming presence when he was in prison. Instead, he said something much deeper happened to him, and this is what he said in this time of suffering, this fiery trial. This is how he experienced it. He said, after a few days in prison, I completely lost sense of God's presence. God was silent, and he remained silent for two years. When I was finally brought to trial, he said, things got much worse. There are those, some who go into the valley of testing and some who do not make it out. He said, I was broken. I lay there alone in my solitary cell. I had great fear, terrible grief, and I was weeping. And the thought kept going through my mind, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? And I opened my mouth as I wept aloud, and I was surprised at what I heard coming out of my mouth. I heard, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I thought, here's my victory. Even if you're silent, God, I love you. Even if you let my enemy harm me, I love you. You know, sometimes our suffering doesn't look like victory in roses. It's suffering. You know, it takes a real emotional toll. But God is faithful, and by his grace, we can glorify him with the simplest of truths. I love you, Jesus. So how can you glorify the name of Jesus in your suffering right now? What does it look like for you to be faithful in the simple things? Who needs to know about your unashamed confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Peter ends by reminding us to be faithful in doing good as we endure our trials. We'll go to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, quote, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Unquote. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This time of judgment that Peter is talking about kind of has a a double meaning. One aspect of judgment is the judgment that will come when Christ returns and he judges the world. But another aspect of judgment is on the household of God, the faithful believers. And this this comes as a refining discipline of his children. You know, by God's grace, God often allows us to see our sin and to see the far-reaching consequences of our sinful behavior. And as an act of discipline, he reveals that to us. And then he encourages us to repent, to turn back unto him, not only for our own sake, but for all of those who are watching our lives, who are learning about what it means to be a Christ follower by how we live our lives and how we trust God and how we obey his word. So our suffering can be an instrument for God's good purposes. There is a purification that happens in times of suffering that God can use to sanctify or cleanse or refine his people. It's because we belong to him as children that he disciplines us in love to help us grow up in our faith Hebrews 12:11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So how might God be using this season of social distancing to teach us something, to correct our thinking, to strip away our idols, to restore to us the simple joys of being human, enjoying human life, to stop the insanity of our pace of life and just give us rest. I love that Peter addresses God as our faithful creator. You know, he is the one who made us. He is trustworthy with our troubles. And Jesus used the same word on the cross when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's this word of entrusting. It's this word of of laying ourselves down, releasing ourselves, relinquishing into his arms. When we entrust ourselves to the God who created us, we have nothing to fear. The truth is that by God's grace, we can entrust ourselves to God and persist in doing good, even in hard times. By God's grace, we can entrust ourselves to God and persist in doing good, even in hard times. You know, when we When we do good in the face of persecution and suffering and fear and confinement and stress and shame and ridicule, we reveal that we have truly entrusted ourselves to God. We reveal that we believe that God is faithful and that we can rely on him in fiery trials. But as we do, let's persist in doing good. Let's continue to learn from our experience. What might God want us to correct about our lives through his loving discipline. What are we learning right now that is meant to change us for good? You know, many, many years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in his book, he wrote about fiery trials. And I, I found this to be so profound. This is something that he wrote in this book that really talks about a fiery trial and the danger of when that trial is over. Let me read this to you as we close. He said, I'm progressing along the path of life in my ordinary contentedly fallen and godless condition, absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow, or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, a holiday or a new book, when suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease, or a headline in the newspapers that threatens us all with destruction, sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I'm overwhelmed, and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. I remind myself that all these toys never intended to possess my heart, that my true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps by God's grace, I succeed and for a day or two become a creature consciously dependent on God and drawing its strength from the right sources. But the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. Oh, may we seize the opportunity provided from this momentary suffering to put down our toys once and for all and to turn our full hearts and our full minds to Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and we can entrust ourselves to him in these fiery trials. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this word of encouragement. Thank you for reminding us that you are trustworthy and faithful, and that your grace is available to us so that we can rejoice in the midst of hardship. We can worship and glorify you. We can bear your name well, and we can continue to do good. We can persist in not heaping sin upon sin, but by turning our hearts and minds to you in faith and obedience and being a blessing to the people around us. I thank you, Lord, for the way your word speaks right into this place that we're living right now today and what an encouragement it is to know that you see us and that you have wisdom for our lives. Oh, Lord, that makes us rejoice. And so we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you Um I look forward next week, actually, Rhonda will be bringing you a message. I look forward to what she has to share next week, and I hope we get to see each other on Zoom or video or in some capacity um, before too long, because I really miss you guys. Have a great week.